Welcome to the Bourbon Pulpit. Background audio is provided by freesound.org. Let's join the conversation. Okay, so Rule 41. It's part of the Federal Rules of Criminal Procedure, uh, the document that the Department of Justice, which includes the FBI, uses to dictate, well, pretty much everything about what they do. The old version of the rule stated that any search or seizure required the investigator to obtain a warrant signed by the federal judge with authority in that jurisdiction. The new rule allows any judge in a district where crime may have occurred to sign the warrant for their or for any district. To understand why this is a bigger deal than the DOJ would like you to believe, it's important to talk about the differences between may have, probably has, and definitely has. In order for an investigator to say something definitely has happened, they have to be able to prove it to a judge. Like, Your Honor, uh, we know that a crime definitely has happened here. We have photographs of this person in an area they're not authorized to be in. Here's a copy of the person's photo ID that proves that they are who we think they are. And here's a statement from the person who gets to decide who's allowed in that area, and they say that person's not allowed there. Same thing is beyond the shadow of a doubt. Okay, so so definitely has and beyond the shadow of a doubt are exactly the same thing, legally speaking, or... Yeah, legally speaking. They're, they're not precisely identical, but the differences between them are something that will never come up. Okay. Uh, probably has is a little blurrier. The investigator just has to be able to show evidence that what they're arguing for is more likely than any alternative scenario. So, Your Honor, we know that a crime has probably happened here. This window into the room was broken. Uh, This stuff, which is normally kept in the room, is missing. Uh, The people that are supposed to be in that room or have access to that room, they don't stand to gain anything by stealing the items. Therefore, it's most likely that someone broke the window and stole the stuff, even though we can't absolutely rule out an inside job. So let me just ask you, how's your drink? It's actually pretty good. Uh, I think the guy called it a, a bloody bourbon. It's this, um, the, 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 those old cans of San Pellegrino flavored water, mm-hmm. uh, the blood orange, uh, with uh, a splash of bourbon from that one place we went to. Oh, the Berkshire yeah. Distillery? Yeah. Yeah, that's near my hometown. And I'm having a bloody Ginny, which is the same stuff. But in gin. Now, is this the gin we got from Berkshire Mountain, or is this some other gin? I think it's just well gin, which I'm pretty sure here that's beef eater. Oh, okay. Well gin? Yeah. All right. Yeah, it comes out the little faucet. You know you know the, the cool little gun with the eight different buttons? I really love you. All right. <laughs> so that sounds good. All right, so, so we're talking about probably has, and so that's probable cause. Yeah. In other words, they think there's probable cause, so they yeah. do whatever. Okay. Yeah, in the in the the case of a, like a standard of proof, it's the like the same thing as reasonable doubt. So I mean, if if you want to put somebody to death, you got to prove they did it beyond the shadow of a doubt. If you want to, you know, sue your neighbor for uh, for letting their dog crap in your driveway, it's reasonable doubt. All right. Now, may have is a very broad brush. A very, very broad brush. Basically, if something isn't absolutely impossible 
or otherwise proven to have not happened, it may have happened. I may have taught myself ancient Greek yesterday. It's bloody unlikely, but not impossible, so it may have happened. Oh, really? Nun se phileo. It is so hot when you speak foreign languages. I actually said now I'm going to make love to you, so that was very hot. Oh. <laughs> ah, cara mia. Uh, the guy in <laughs> the guy in line in front of me at the coffee shop may have been passing a coded message to a conspirator when he ordered his half-calf mochaccino or whatever the kids like these days. It's, it's probably was. It's far more likely that he wanted a cup of coffee and is just a little particular about his taste, sure, but I can't absolutely rule out the idea that half-calf mochaccino, please, is code for something sinister. The half-calf mochaccino is pretty goddamn sinister in why, my opinion. Why would you want less caffeine in a cup of coffee? I mean, if you're trying to cut down, drink tea. Tea well, is good. Well, and it's an espresso drink, a mochaccino. Mm-hmm. So why would you want it half-calf? Just don't order espresso, fool. You just get a regular cup of coffee. Get a half-calf cup of coffee. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, another thing like that. Is the, is the difference between may, shall, and must in law. When you may do something, you could choose whether to do it or not, and the law doesn't really give a crap one way or the other. When you shall do something, you have a duty or a legal obligation to do it, and there's going to be penalties if you don't. When you must do something, it's the 11th friggin' commandment. It's the 0th amendment. Thou shalt do it, and if you don't, the penalties are going to be very, very severe. You know, that's interesting because we were discussing the difference between may, shall, and must in um, uh, in a board meeting for the nonprofit I serve on the board of. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about, you know, the difference between may, shall, and must. And, of course, I come from a linguistics background, so I'm very precise about what I mean about those terms. Mm-hmm. And the law, which is wrong in its assessment of what those terms mean... Um, is precise in a different way. And it, the, the cognitive dissonance for me, looking at a set of bylaws, which have to be, which have to use the legal terms, it, you know, it's very upsetting for me. Yeah. It's, well, it's all over the place in electrical code, too. Like, um, like you, well, yeah, because it's the law. Yeah, I yeah. mean, well, not technically, because but, it's because it's generated and maintained by a set of private individuals, but it's well, right. But code and law are cut. Never yeah, mind. effectively, they're the same, <laughs> but there is a relatively unimportant legal dis- uh, distinction. You, right, right. You may have up to blah 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 different uh, lighting circuits in a home. You uh, you shall have uh, at least one uh, circuit just for appliances in a kitchen. You must make sure that these outlets have ground fault protection. Stuff like that. Right. Makes sense. May have is far, far too lenient a test to pass in order for the DOJ to allow itself to go on a fishing expedition. This is why we have 870 federal judgeships. Each one of those judges has authority over a certain area, and as far as I know, there's no area, no jurisdiction in which a single judge holds exclusive power. They're they're all councils. It's like an appeals court has between three and nine judges. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's always an odd number, just so that they can't... Tiebreakers? Yeah, Yeah. tiebreakers. This is... 
they group them up like that to prevent corruption. If a single judge, or <laughs> to try to prevent corruption, if a single judge oversaw a district or a circuit, they would immediately become a target for those who would try to use bribery, coercion, or threats to swing the rule of law in a direction that favored them. The same reason we have ideally nine judges on the Supreme Court. Spreading the power around limits the ability of any one judge to do damage. You would hope. You would hope. So letting the DOJ go judge fishing is dangerous. It asks the public to believe that out of 870 judges, there isn't a single one who wants to snuggle up to the DOJ in hopes of getting a good word put in for them for a more attractive position or some other windfall. Maybe the investigator who wants a warrant has a cousin who's a senior partner at a law firm and the judge is thinking about what they're going to do when they get tired of sitting on the bench. Maybe the investigator has lunch regularly with the uh, with the deputy chief of staff and there's a seat opening up on the Supreme Court because one of the justices is looking at retirement. Maybe some subdirector in the DOJ knows a guy at a Maserati dealership and can get the judge a great stocking stuffer for their spouse. I can sit here and come up with situations all day where someone at the DOJ could have something a judge wants and all they have to do is just sign on this here dotted line. So let me ask you a little question here. Isn't that illegal? Yeah, it's very illegal. That doesn't mean it doesn't happen. Well, I mean, okay. But I mean, aren't there... Aren't there laws about what size of gift somebody can accept under any circumstances, whether or not they're doing a favor? Yes. Uh, those are actually fairly tightly controlled, but they're also pretty easy to get around. It, re- it relies entirely on either a voluntary uh, admission that, yes, I received this gift, or that the gift be something that is obvious. Like, okay, this guy... I mean, we have a, a copy of a check that this guy wrote you for $10,000. Your bank account shows that you cashed that check, therefore we know you got a gift of $10,000. But some ball tickets, or putting in a good word at the you know their cousin's Maserati dealership, or... Or, you know, somebody's, somebody's saying to their boss, Hey, this judge here, he's, he's, he's a good guy. He's on our side. Why don't we consider him? Well, yeah, I mean, I can see that there are subtle gifts, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if you will. But it's just, when you're talking about something that has a monetary value, like a car, or, you know, t- even tickets to something, you're talking about something where there's specific rules for how that has to be disclosed. I remember, you know, I used to work for the government, and and I have to say I'm happy I don't anymore. But at the same time, every Christmas... The notes would go around. And, I mean, I I've only, I only worked directly for the government for a very short time. Mm-hmm. But even as a consultant, I had to be very careful about what I said and what I did, particularly around the holidays, because you don't want to seem to even look like you're soliciting a gift from somebody. Yeah, yeah but in this scenario, the investigator isn't giving the judge a car. He's calling his cousin and say, hey, next weekend, uh, this, this guy Mel, he's going to be coming in looking for a car. Tell you what, get him a good deal. So he's not giving him the car, he's just arranging for him to get a deal on the car. Oh, I see what you're saying. All right, okay. That's a little, that is a little more subtle. Yeah. And honestly, I'm sure this kind of shit happens all the time. In fact, I know for a fact it does. I've seen it. Yes, absolutely. I've seen it and heard it go down. So. Yeah. 
Yeah, so another argument that the, D that the DOJ is using to justify this rule change is that especially in botnet cases, they're not investigating just one system or systems in just one district. They want to look at a lot of devices in a lot of areas, and it's too much of a pain in the ass to get 94 different warrants. Well, I'm sorry, but law enforcement kind of should be a pain in the ass. It should be very difficult for the government to take your stuff or look at your stuff without your permission. Having to get warrants for each district means that they have to be able to prove that your particular device is worth looking at, not just, uh, here's the list of stuff we want to look at, here's some highlights, like, oh yeah, this system, for instance, we, you know, we've got documented proof that it did some bullshit. Uh, that one there is hosting child pornography. This one is, is used to launder money from the drug trade. Trust us, every single system on this list is worth looking at. Well, uh, okay. I have some thoughts about this, but I'm going to kind of keep them to myself at this point, maybe let them out in a little bit. Okay. Basically, making them get a, a warrant for each district means that they've, they've got to make a case for each system and that they've got to be able to convince multiple judges. Having to convince multiple judges kind of defangs the the brother at the Maserati dealership, or the guy with the the guy with the ball tickets. Well, sure, but okay. So I am actually going to break in and, and share some thoughts. So, so here's the thing. First of all, a botnet can spread very quickly. Yeah. Okay. And second of all, uh, you know, a lot of times the damage can be done, and a lot of the evidence discarded. Yep. Before they'd ever get the warrants. Yep. So that's probably the reasoning there. Sure it is. But it's irrelevant. Uh, the Mirai botnet. It spreads, it, it deletes traces of its existence. Before anybody at the FBI even knows that there's a system worth looking at, it's been and gone. If, if, it's, if it doesn't matter if the warrants take them a day or two days, then why make it easier to get the warrants if it's for no real benefit? Hmm. I mean, we have a little thing called the Fourth Amendment. The right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated, and no warrants shall issue, but upon probable cause, supported by oath or affirmation, and particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized. So Rule 41 subverts the Fourth Amendment? Sort of. It basically... Uh, letting them get uh, warrants for everything for from one judge, they, they're kind of they're, they're kind of giving themselves more wiggle room on probable cause and oath or affirmation than the Fourth Amendment allows for. The Fourth Amendment says you want to look at something or you want to take something, you got to tell me why it's a good idea. You got to tell me where you're going to find it. You're going to tell me exactly what you're looking for. Letting them get warrants in bulk like that. It's basically say we're looking for these twenty things, and we're and the DOJ is asking us to trust them that they're really going to make a case for those forty things, and not here's some bullet points. Trust us, this is all on the up and up. Just sign here. <laughs> now James Madison, who wrote the Fourth Amendment, he had no idea about technological crimes. If you'd asked him about a botnet, he probably would have bought. Net, he would have thought it was some sort of fishing apparatus he got from the store. But the forefathers did something very smart. They wrote the Constitution in such a way that it was a framework and not a finished document. The, the logo on the, the back of the dollar bill, the unfinished pyramid. 
Uh, you know, because America is a work in progress, and so is the Constitution. They knew that the world was going to change, and that technology would advance, and there would be social issues, legal issues, technological issues, political issues, so on and so forth, that they would have no ability whatsoever to conceptualize, much less plan for. They never set out to build a house. They wanted to build a really good foundation and leave the building of the house to future generations, and they did a pretty damn good job, actually. They knew from experience that giving one person or one group exclusive power over pretty much anything was inviting trouble. So they split the ruling of the country into three. Article 1 establishes the legislative branch. Article 2 establishes the executive branch. Article 3 uh, establishes the judicial branch. It also set things up. So in order to make any significant changes to the power of any of those branches, uh, it required that at least one other branch, and almost always all three, to agree that it was a good idea to do so. Well, well, wait a minute. So somebody's managed to convince you that the unfinished pyramid on the back of the dollar bill is because it's an unfinished... Really? Somebody, somebody convinced you of that? Yeah, fourth Dude, grade it's social a, studies. It's an Illuminati symbol. We all know this. <laughs> it's it's about the conspiracy that runs the United States and, and the rest of the world. If, the, if there really was a grand conspiracy running the United States, you'd think they'd be better at it? This is great, Jim. Isn't it, though? Okay, so this leads back into 28 U.S.C. 2073-B. That's uh, a bit from the United States Code, Title 28, which is for Judiciary and Judicial Procedure, Section 2073, Rules of Procedure and Evidence, Method of Prescribing, Subsection B. The first sentence of it reads, The Judicial Conference shall authorize the appointment of a standing committee on rules of practice, procedure, and evidence under subsection A of this section. This is lawyer speak, and it's fucking arcane, and this is what we deal with. So, let's unpack that. The Judicial Conference refers to the Judicial Conference of the United States, a bunch of federal judges. They pick a standing committee or authorize some other party to pick the standing committee and charge that committee with the task of making and maintaining rules of practice, procedure, and evidence. Practice is this is what we do, procedure is this is how we do it, and evidence is this, this, this is the stuff we do it with. Okay. Now, the way rules get changed, in an overall sense, happens one of two ways. If it's a relatively minor change that is strictly procedural and doesn't meaningfully modify the powers granted to the DOJ. It's put through as an administrative change. That just has to clear the Supreme Court, which, interestingly, the the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court is on the Judicial Conference, and bam, done. This is generally stuff like updating the rules to allow for technological advancements while maintaining the existing level of powers granted. Or administrivia, like saying that a judge is allowed to use a computer to look up legal language instead of sending some poor clerk to haul out a 30-pound grimoire from the basement. (laughs) Stuff that does increase the powers granted to the DOJ is a legislative change, and has to go through Congress. This is for stuff like, for instance, warrant rules that make it easier to get a warrant, or stuff that goes from needing a warrant to not needing a warrant, like warrantless wiretapping or reasons why a warrant wouldn't need to be obtained in the interests of of expedience in responding to a clear and imminent threat, so on and so forth. Those have to go through Congress, so the senators and representatives who speak for the 320 million people in a country get a chance to go, hey, now, pump them brakes. Okay, all right. But that's not what happened here. The Rule 41 change makes it a lot easier to get a warrant, 
does so in a way that makes abuse of the judiciary much more likely, if not guaranteed, and even gives the DOJ an out with a modification of warrant notification by just saying the investigator has to make a reasonable effort to notify the owner of the device or of the data of the search and seizure after it happens. Oh, and it's cool. You can just drop him an email. I'm, I'm quoting from Rule 41 here. Uh, the officers must make reasonable efforts to serve a copy of the warrant on the person whose property was searched or whose information was seized or copied. Service may be accomplished by any means, including electronic means, reasonably calculated to reach that person. Yeah, okay, we, we stole your toaster because we convinced a judge two time zones away. It was technologically possible for it to be in part of the Mirai, Mirai botnet. Oh, but don't worry, we'll send you an ad on Twitter letting you know a few days later. No, we don't really care what you're going to do for breakfast. Maybe get some cornflakes. How'd we convince the judge? Well, it turns out my brother owns a yacht, and the judge had a uh, yen to visit the Bahamas. What's your point? Well, okay, so so Rule 41 was changed. Mm -hmm. Now, what's Rule 41 a rule of, again? Uh, uh, criminal procedure. Basically, okay. uh, the DOJ has these rules say this is what we do. Okay, so this is Rule 41 of criminal procedure or whatever. Yeah. Okay, so they changed it. Yep. And they could just change... How could they just change it if they're changing the powers without shoving it, without having to shove it through Congress? Well, uh, because they're abusing it. Uh, there's, there's two ways that they can push through a rule change. They can do the administrative route, which I uh, just talked about, which right. is really for stuff that doesn't modify the powers granted. Or they can put it through as a change in law, because that's really what it is, although it's not technically law, it's not part of the uh, United States Code, it's effectively law. So, it, so anything that does modify the powers granted really should go through Congress. And they just chose not to do it. They said, hey, we they want... chose to say it was an administrative yep. change? Yep. Okay. Yeah, the uh, the judicial conference, who includes the chief judge, um, SCOTUS, went, um, you know what? Trust us. This isn't that big a deal. It really doesn't modify anything anybody's going to care about. Uh, we'll just have the Supreme Court rubber stamp it and we'll be fine. And then the the you know the chief judge of the United States Supreme Court who was on that conference just kind of changed hats and go, okay, now I'm uh, talking from my position in the Supreme Court. Yep, this all looks good to me. Boop. Job's done. Drinks all around. And I have to eat cornflakes. You have to eat cornflakes because your toaster is now the property of the FBI. Okay. Now, I mean, of course, I'm exaggerating to prove a point. I, I don't have any reason to believe the FBI is going to kick down my door and steal my blender on suspicion of it being part of a worldwide conspiracy to steal people's banking data. Thank God for that. Yeah. However, we do live in an age where almost anything connects to the Internet. And because your average person doesn't like spending more money than they have to, a lot of those devices ship without a whole lot of money being spent on securing them. Very true. Maybe you have a wristwatch that connects to cell networks to pull weather data and upload your GPS coordinates so you can see where you went jogging. Or, more realistically, so that you can plot your walk back, you know, from your living room to your car. Yeah. <laughs> that would be me. Yeah, or you have a baby monitor where you can check on the internet because you can't go 20 minutes without checking on little Caden, Jaden, Braden, or whatever the fuck. Or all three, because or I had triplets. Three. Okay. Kate and Jaden and Braden. 
Christ alive, I need more booze. <laughs> Caden, Jaden, and Brayden. Yeah. Or, I, I, I want to know how they're doing, honey. Yeah. Or, or like a smart home device where that you can turn your air conditioner on when you're still on the bus home. Every one of those things accesses the internet. And the way the internet works is they can in turn be accessed right back and can therefore be made to do things you don't intend. Uh, Andrew McGill, journalist for The Atlantic. I, I heard about this on NPR a couple weeks ago. He set up an experiment where he created a fake smart toaster. So it wasn't a real smart toaster. It was just something that connected to his net. But Yeah. But it, it had the footprint of a toaster. Yeah, it had the footprint of a smart toaster. Hooked it okay. up to the internet to see how long it would take for someone to compromise it. He talked to some experts and figured it would take about a week before anybody noticed it and tried to take it over. You know how long it took? Two weeks. 14 minutes. Okay, so did people know, did he announce this? Nope. He just put it out there. He just connected it to the internet and sat on his hands. Okay. 14 minutes. 14 minutes and a Russian hacker was... Yeah. Was, in, was burning, you know, perestroika into his toast. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and the time it takes you to finish reading the instruction manual and pick up the 80 million twist ties and plastic bags anything you buy comes packaged with and put them in the trash there's a very good chance whatever you plug into your router or figure Wi-Fi password to will be noticed by somebody. And someone out there is going to try to use it to kick some 14-year-old kid off of Xbox Live. Then your toaster belongs to the FBI now. And if they really wanted to, if they really wanted to bend a rule just to piss you off or because they decided that, that you were going to be under the bus today, they could argue, again, not necessarily successfully, but still, that you had to have known that your toaster scorching free the Cuban 5 into your whole weed every morning would clearly indicate to a reasonable person that their toaster was compromised by criminals and by hitting the factory reset on it, uh, button on to roll it back to the base settings was clearly willful destruction of evidence. Now you're looking at going to prison for 20 years and having to hire a lawyer and defend yourself in court just for wanting the most important meal of the day. So wait a minute, wait a minute. That's very important, that, that, that point you just made. Okay, so let's say, let's say you realized that, and let's not make it your toaster. Okay. Let's make it your Wi-Fi router. Sure. Okay. Let's, let's say you realized your Wi-Fi router was compromised by the guy who smokes marijuana on the steps out in front of your, your apartment. Sure. Okay? Okay. And you're like, ah, shit, I don't want him compromising my Wi-Fi router. You don't realize that your Wi-Fi router was also part of, you know, Mirai 2. Mm -hmm. So you're like, okay, I'm going to um, reboot my router, but before I do that, I'm going to change the password, I'm going to change all the parameters, I'm going to change the SSID, I'm going to change everything about it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to, God, you know, flash it back to factory settings, okay, and then, you know, reinstall shit on it. And I'm going to, you know, and then reboot it, and I'm going to, you know, basically it's all back to factory plus, and then I'm going to, you know, secure it. Yeah. And you're a criminal. Yep. Now, I don't think that the FBI is going to hunt down everybody who resets the, their Wi-Fi router in factory settings. But what if the FBI really wanted that router? Maybe there was something about it that was a key piece of evidence for you. Maybe the guy who smokes marijuana on my front steps is actually from the FBI. Who knows? And 
So they're going to say, we really needed that piece of evidence. You took it away from us, so fuck you. And he's not sharing. And he's not sharing. It's hard to get good shit around here. Fuck him. Yeah, and it doesn't matter that any reasonable judge or any reasonable jury would take one look at this case and go, you've got to be kidding me. It's his own Wi-Fi router. He bought it. He's entitled to make sure it works the way he wants it to work. Lay off. It doesn't matter. You've still got to show up in court. You've still got to find a lawyer. You've still got to arrange for time off from work. You've still got to treat it seriously. Because if you don't, well, you didn't show up, so we're going to find in the FBI's favor, and you go to prison for 20 years. That, that's what the maximum sentence for that is, 20 years. Because you just wanted your Wi-Fi router to work. Wow. Or I want to toast instead of cornflakes. Or you want to toast instead of cornflakes. Okay, so if this rule change is so obviously terrible, why didn't it get stopped? You know, why are we talking about this and not, <laughs> oh man, did you hear last week the DOJ tried to sneak this in under the radar and they got friggin' crucified for it? Well, that's actually the heart of what I want to talk to you about. And I mainly told you that story so I could tell you this one. Because the Rule 41 change was pushed as an administrative change and not a legislative one, a legislative action is required in order to do anything about it. And several have been put forth. Uh, I was I was reading up on this this past week. I found three Senate bills and two House bills, all but the most recent of which died in committee. Why did they die in committee? Oh, we're getting there. Uh, on the Senate side, the bill's deaths can be laid at the feet of Senator John Cornyn, a Republican from Texas. Can you spell Cornyn? C-O-R-N-Y-N. I remember that, folks. A commi- uh, he's a member of the Senate Committee on the Judiciary and their subcommittee on Crime and Terror. That struck me as a little odd, because back in March, uh, Senate Bill 2724, the Separation of Powers Restoration Act, was introduced by Senator Orrin Hatch, uh, Republican from Utah. We all know who he is, yeah. yes, definitely. And that had Cornyn and 11 other Republicans as co-sponsors. And that bill aimed to do pretty much the same thing? It was going to amend 5 U.S.C. 706 to grant the courts greater powers to curtail and limit the powers and abilities granted to the DOJ. So, if he was on board for that, why did he kill S-2952, the Stop Mass Hacking Act, which was the same basic idea, just focused on this one issue? Well, what happened to Senate 2724? Uh, 2724. That died in committee. So that died in committee? Yep. Okay. Like most bills do. Right. Yes, yes. Okay. I watched The West Wing. I know that. (laughs) As it turns out, Cornyn's not an idiot. He's no fool. A little over a year ago, he saw saw Donald Trump's campaign and went, "Uh uh-oh. He predicted that Trump was either going to win or, at minimum, that the process of him campaigning would be a monumental shakeup to the GOP. A year ago, he saw this coming. He knew that uncertainty and finger-pointing would soon overcome the Republican Party. And given that he's the majority whip in the Senate basically the second in command, that's a circumstance he fears more than anything else. He's in a position of power, and shakeups are bad news for those in power. Furthermore, a Trump victory means a Trump presidency. (laughs) And even the most conservative political operatives don't really like the chances of the Republican Party in 2020. Yeah. Yeah, guess when Cornyn's up for re-election? Is he up for re-election in 2020? He is up for re-election in 2020. How about that? 
So my interpretation is that for now, Cornyn doesn't really have an opinion or an agenda of his very own beyond stay in power. When he wakes up in the morning, he takes the pulse of the Republican Party and changes his position and agendas to match. Now, wait a minute. Let me just ask you something here. What is actually the the uh, the job of the majority whip? Basically, what what the what a whip does is the the leader dis, uh, decides. Okay, here's some bills we want to pass. Here's some bills we want to fail. Here's some bills we want to die in committee. Okay. The whip goes around to the other members of the party and says, "Okay, here's how we want you to vote. If is there anything preventing you from voting this way?" If so, let's take care of it if we can, or if it's something I don't want to take care uh, of, then I'm just going to yell at you and threaten you with irrelevancy until you decide to vote my way. And that is why he's called the whip. That's why he's called the whip. Because he, he whips them up. Because he whips Not because he punishes them with the whip. Yeah. Although, that's a really sexy thought. But it's because he whips them up. Yeah, but that... You know, whipping the you know, kind of whipping them to get them moving yeah. is where the name comes from. Right, right, exactly. The imagery it's of like, a whoosh, whip. Yeah. Right, right. I know it, it's it's not a whisk, or he'd be called the whisk, but it's like you know, I'm getting you excited, like uh-huh. you do, you know, with with uh, like in the circus. Yeah. With the whip, it's a signal to get get going, get going. Yeah. Get okay. him in line. All right. Still pretty exciting. <laughs> <laughs> so for the next four years, he's going to do everything he can to keep as many Republicans as he can as happy with him as he can possibly make them. And limit the powers of the DOJ sounds an awful lot like soft on crime, which is a death knell to an uncertain Republican voter base. Okay, so what you're saying is he's sort of anti-whipping. And that was why I asked you what whip means. Because he's actually, he's taking the pulse and he's going, hmm. And then he's Mm anti-whipping. He's, he's... Instead of yeah, instead of whipping the herd to make sure they go the direction he wants them to go, he's looking at which direction the herd is going and then whipping them to go in that direction. See, I, I understand y'all. There's there's a good reason I'm in this position of power. I am. See, I'm on your side. I'm fighting for the things you want me to fight for. Isn't it good that I'm in this position? And I should stay in this position, shouldn't I? Shouldn't I? Right, guys? Right? Do whips do that a lot? It's pretty much their whole job. No, but what I'm saying is, since since he's anti-whipping, do do whips anti-whip a lot? Not generally, no. Only when they're trying to uh, recover political capital, or when they're planning for a shakeup at a later date. How how do you lose your job as a whip? I mean, how do you like like? Is there something that that you know some uh, actually you know really civic-minded Republican could do? To say, you're not whipping, you're anti-whipping, so can you, you know, kick him out of the whip position? Yeah, pretty much. All all they'd have to do is go to the leader and say, look, this guy isn't actually accomplishing anything. He doesn't have the confidence of the party. He doesn't have the political pull with the other members of the party. He's he's sucking air. He's wasting time. Get rid of him. And where's he from again? Texas. Oh, well, that explains that. Never mind. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, it, it might be... Because I never even heard of him. Texas is huge. I never heard of him hmm. away until this whole thing came up. Yeah. I never heard of him till like a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. So, um, you know, so how important could he be? I mean, everybody knows the name Orrin Hatch. I'm sorry, but everybody oh, just God does. Oh, God, he's 
possibly just because he has a weird first name. Yeah, and he's been around for 300 years. Right, exactly. I mean, he is literally 300 years old. So, and he's been in the Senate that whole time. I mean, he, he was born into the Senate, as I recall. Yeah, I mean, when, when the dudes came off the Mayflower, Orrin Hatcher's there going, sup guys, how's the trip? Exactly. So, so I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, is this somebody that, that you know, if he were on the Democrats, the Democratic side, could we get rid of him easily? You know, who's the, who's the minority whip? Uh... Uh oh. Schumer, no, Schumer's going into leadership. I forget right off the top of my head. Well, fortunately, I have my phone here at our. Bar, yeah, look it up. So Senate, look Senate it Minority up. Whip. Yeah, Senate Minority Whip. Well, you just keep talking. Anyway, keep telling me these things. Speaking of the Democrats, though, uh, I have some good news. The promotion of uh, uh, Chuck Schumer, who's a Democrat from New York, to Senate Minority Leader means that Schumer's dropping all his committee assignments. Uh, the DNC has been accused, and rightly, because they, they, they are kind of guilty of this, of not giving less tenured legislators or less prominent senators leadership positions, so they're giving up and comers a seat at the table. The current favorite to replace Schumer in the Judiciary Committee is none other than Massachusetts' own firebrand, Liz Warren. And Liz Warren does not exactly have a habit of taking bullshit from the other side of the aisle. Is it Harry Reid? No, that's the leader. Yeah, that's the leader. He's stepping down. Dick Durbin? Yeah, that's it. Because it's assistant minority leader is what I'm... Yeah. But that's that's what the whip is, right? Yeah. Well, different title, roughly same position. Okay. Uh, Chris Van Hollen's moving from the House to the Senate. Uh, he's bringing his long career of spitting in the eye of obstructionists with him, along with fighting for better wages for workers, more funding for education, and you guessed it, fighting loopholes and power grabs in government agencies. Go Van Hollen. So it's going to be an interesting four years. Uh, nobody really knows for sure the fate of Rule 41. Uh, it's, it's The change is in. It's currently law. Uh, but... Uh, on the House side, H- House Resolution 6341, which is the Review of the Rule Act of 2016, is yet another bill to temporarily roll back the rule change to allow for con- congressional debate. That was introduced by Representative Poe, a Republican from Texas, and co-sponsored, uh, co-sponsored by Representative Conyers, a Democrat from Michigan. Yes, you heard that right. It's a bipartisan bill, and it's, and it's not dead yet. This past Monday, the 5th, it got referred to the House Committee on the Judiciary, because there's a House Committee and a Senate Committee, uh, the Subcommittee on Crime, Terrorism, Homeland Security, and Investigations, and pose a member of that committee, and it's his bill, so it being held up in committee is very unlikely. This will go to a vote. And with representatives having to be elected every two years, and several Republicans on the Senate side and the Senate Committee for the Judiciary up for re-election in 2018, it's going to be a very, very interesting two year, uh, four years. So let me ask you, is it going to be an interesting four years? It's going to be a very interesting four years. So, so this is really this is really getting me. So let me let me just see if I can sort of sum up here. So what we're talking about mm-hmm. is that we've got this this thing, Rule 41, and it's a and it is a new thing. Yep. And in a new, relatively new. And in its entirety, and it's it's Rule Forty One of the Criminal Code. Is, uh, is that Rule Forty One of Federal Rules of Criminal Procedure. Rule Forty One of Federal Rules of Criminal Procedure, and this Rule Forty One 
got pushed through. Yeah, well, the changes to it. The, the, rule, the changes to it. The, yeah. the rule was, was there. Yeah. The changes to Rule 41 got pushed through as administrative changes, even though they do change the powers. Yes. Okay. Um, of the FBI portion of the DOJ. Um, and now, and who's our Chief Justice right now in SCOTUS? Uh, wow, I keep asking you these hard phone, questions. Huh? Yeah. Well, I'm glad I bring my phone out when I go. Um, Chief Justice Scotus. While you're looking that up, now uh, when the committee does recommend a rule change, they have to give notes. It's Roberts. Roberts, that's right. Right. Okay. When the committee does recommend a rule change, they have to write some notes about it. And I'm I'm looking at the. I, I happen to bring this with me to the bar because I'm that kind of nerd. Uh, I'm looking at the notes right here. Uh, blah, 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 words, words, words. The amendment would limit the, would eliminate the burden of attempting to secure multiple warrants in numerous districts and allow a single judge to oversee the investigation. That burden is important to ensure focus. It forces the DOJ to prove cause for each device, and multiple jurisdictions should have multiple judges for oversight. Judge fishing invites abuse. Yeah. Um, okay, so so they pushed it through as administrative, but it but it should have been pushed through, and Roberts agreed to this. Yep. Now Roberts we, said, "Great idea, let's do it." Now, who was Roberts appointed by? Is he one of them Bush appointments, or I believe he... so. All right, all right, let me check. And there's also a note in these notes that the amendment is intended to ensure that reasonable efforts are made to provide notice of the search, seizure, or copying as well as a receipt for any information that was seized or copied to the person who owns whatever it is they're taking or copying. I'm sorry, reasonable effort? Email is a reasonable effort? Do you know how much email I get in a day? Oh, yeah. Well, although, I do have to say this. Email is replacing notice in writing for a lot of legal things. So, honestly, um, I, I would say that it's not unreasonable to say that email is okay. Because email is replacing writing, you know, written notice through the post office to your, you know, home address. Sure. Let me know that my car registration needs to be renewed over email. Send me an email about a parking ticket. But, hey, you have this, you have this Minecraft server in a colo uh, in Utah that you that you're never going to be in the same room with this, but you rent it, it's your device. We're, we're going to... Uh, we broke it. We broke into it and copied everything. Oh, and don't worry. We'll send you an email. Yeah, we'll, we'll just send you an email about it. You know, don't don't worry. Maybe I'm actually okay with that. I really I'm am. not. If if it's something, hey, the government is now taking something of yours or taking a copy of something of yours. Email is not enough. Put a piece of paper in my hand, and you you've got the money. You you've got the money to take the blender. Well, wait, you want to be served in person? Yeah. You've got the money to take a blender. You've got the money to, to you know, get some sheriff somewhere to knock on my door and put a piece of paper in my hand saying, by the way, we we, uh, we copied the, the insides of your blender. Because maybe it's not just a Minecraft server. Maybe that's where I put my financial data. Maybe oh. that's where I put my... Uh, 
my archive of embarrassing fan fiction, and now it's evidence. Now it's public record. Maybe I could open up the Washington Post the next morning and see, oh, the FBI sees this dweeb's Minecraft server. Oh, and by the way, boy, does he have some funny ideas about My Little Pony. Okay, so let me just ask you that question. Where's, where does that money come from? The DOJ. They, where does the DOJ's money come well, it's, from? It's our money. It's my taxes. Yeah. So you want me to spend my important tax money on you getting a piece of paper from your hand in your hand from some overworked deputy somewhere who wasn't, you know, who has enough to do what with reading your archive. The, the deputy isn't reading my archive. The well, deputy is doing deputy shit. Well, but then in that case he's probably overworked. If if the deputy is overworked, then that's a pro- that's the county's problem to solve. I don't know. I I don't real. I really I, don't have a problem with email in this situation. I don't see that it's going to be that huge a burden. I I, I, re, I just really don't see that. Maybe I just don't want the deputy coming to my door. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not exactly excited about it either. But I'd rather a deputy put a piece of paper in my hand and make sure I know it. That hey, your shit got seized or copied or broken into or whatever. Other than me trying to you know me getting. You know, hassled on instant messenger by my buddy say, hey, the Minecraft server's down. Do you know what's up? Oh, man, did I forget to pay the bill for the hosting? No, I paid the bill. Why, uh, let me call the hosting company. Hey, hosting company, what's the deal with my Minecraft server? Oh, uh, we can't talk to you about that. Why? What's going on? Is something wrong? We can't talk to you about that. You, uh, you have to call this guy at the Department of Justice. Oh, shit, did somebody, did, did somebody, you know, Put kitty porn in, in my Minecraft server? What's going on here? Okay, let me call this guy. Oh, I'm on hold. Oh, I'm leaving a message. Oh, I guess I'll, I'll hear back what's going on in three days when he finally gets around. But all this time you had email in your account that you didn't check. Yeah, and I didn't check it because it got caught by my spam filter because I use Gmail like any reasonable person. So you're saying, you're saying that something from the DOJ would have been caught in your spam filter? Could have been. Check your spam filter. I, I really, I don't have a problem with it being email. I, I really don't. I, I don't. Have, I don't want these people coming to my door and letting me know that they took down my Minecraft. Because the thing is that, and here's the thing too. What if they think they're going to be in danger if they send someone to your door? To um, and before I, I finish that thought, by the way, uh, John Glover Roberts Jr., the the, the Chief Justice of SCOTUS. Um, was appointed by President George W. Bush after the that? death of Chief Justice William Rehnquist. How about that? He didn't rise to the ranks. He was just appointed hmm. to be the Chief Justice. Anyway, so, so, but anyway, let's let's say that they don't send the sheriff's deputy because, okay, mm-hmm. they might have reason to think that I might be violent. Either over the loss of my blender or the loss of my kitty, not my kitty porn, because I don't keep kitty porn on the blender. Yeah. That's not where I keep it. So, um, you know, no, I don't have kitty porn. Stop that. Um, but anyway, and if it is, it's the kitty porn. Yeah. Anyway, but, you know, but my fan fiction archive, you know, that after reading it, they, they think maybe I might be a violent type because of, you know, the stuff that's in there. And so they're like, we don't want to come to their door, you know, because we're going to have to, you know, we're going to be taking our life in our hands. So we'll just send her some email about her blender with the porn on it. So let me get this straight. You're, you're, you're coming up with a scenario 
where the authorities have reason to think that you're a dangerous, unhinged, and possibly violent individual. Well, I might become if I knew they were reading my porn. And you're arguing that this would cause them to not want to send a guy. (laughs) I don't know. I'm just hypothesizing. I mean, this is good gin. While we're hypothesizing, riddle me this, Batman. How do they how do they know I'm going to get that email? If I if I was smart, how do they know you're going to get the real mail if they sent it by mail? No, let me finish. If I'm smart, I'm writing a botnet. I've taken over this guy's blender. Don't you think I'd also? Uh, I mean, it, don't you think I'd also set set up a man in the middle between him and his email server? You do have a point there, Tommy Lee Jones. I mean, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, if I'm going to go to the trouble to take over this guy's blender, and then I'm also going to go to the trouble to stick something somewhere that uh, takes a look and goes, okay, I'm seeing email, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, something just on fucking Wireshark or something that analyzes the traffic and goes, ooh, that looks like an email from the FBI. I'm going to memory hole that. If he's got an insecure internet blender, he may also very well not be using two-factor authentication on his Gmail account. Exactly. Email is not secure enough to count as service. Yeah, I guess. I just, uh, you know, I mean, I, in a lot of legal cases, I can really understand the idea of using, um, of using email. But but I can see your point that this might not be one of them. You're arguing that it's that. Uh, even though it's not as secure as it should be, its its worth is in its expedience and its convenience. Yes. And that is exactly the argument the DOJ used to push through this Rule 41 change as an administrative act. And see, but that's the that's the one I don't get. And no, I don't see. I don't think they're the same thing. I don't think. I don't think it's the same. I mean, I see what you're saying. It's the same argument, but I don't think they have the same weight. It's like I don't see how this could be an administrative change. It changes the powers. Therefore, it's not an administrative change by definition. Yeah, it's... They got away with it because the the person whose job it is to decide whether or not it's uh, it's an administrative change or a legislative change, conveniently is also the head of the, the body that decides to go, yep, it was an administrative change. That's a clear conflict of interest. That is a conflict of interest, but it hasn't it always been the case that that the Chief Justice was on this committee? Yeah. So maybe, first of all, that's something that we need to be looking at changing. Exactly. And then thing number two, you know, of course, who's surprised because, you know, he was appointed by the president who lied to us all yeah. about, you know, the whole Iraq war. Yeah. So, you know, ooh, surprise, surprise. Um... But, uh, you know, so, yeah, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what I think here. But, uh, I mean, I, I, I get that it's convenient, but it really, it, no, it's not right. It can be convenient and still wrong. Yeah, yeah, well, maybe in this particular case, I can capitulate that email isn't... But I just don't know where you draw the line because I think that email does suffice for a lot of things. Sure, it does. It just doesn't suffice here. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I should settle up my tab. Uh, hey, can I get my check, please? <laughs>